and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show again. Thanks very still much. here. Lawson's yes. still away with the Rona, so Daniel filling in and we certainly appreciate it. Praise the Lord. What are you thankful for this morning, Daniel? I am thankful for schools in the community that still want to teach Jesus Christ. Yes. My little girl's off to kindergarten this week. Big step. Big step. We got some photos back yesterday from uh, my wife went to school with this girl and she turned into a photographer. Okay. And she does amazing shots. We get all our family shots done through her. Okay, I've seen some of your shots yeah. uh, on your Facebook page, and they are sensational. They're truly first class. I'm going to plug in a second when I remember what the, um, the photography studio is <laughs> And we did some ones where she was just doing little five-minute setups, bring your child along in uniform, get a couple of snaps on a chair with a book with an apple on their head, and they came through yesterday. She's just like, I'm biased because she's mine, but it's just the cutest thing. And, and it's that realisation of... Hang on a second. She was just born like yesterday, wasn't she? Well, that was what I was thinking when you mentioned she was heading off to kindergarten. I was like, wait a minute. Last week you were over at my place and she was just being... No, it was... Rolling around the floor and... Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was more than a couple of weeks ago. Um, Time goes fast. So she's off to kindergarten. Yeah. And it's it's just... It's amazing. First day... First day when? Thursday. Thursday. First day Thursday. Is she excited about it? She's so excited. I can she's imagine pumped. she would be. She keeps asking. She goes, when I'm off to kindergarten, like Thursday, is Thursday tomorrow? No, Thursday's, in, this was last week. No, yeah. Thursday's next week. Why can't it be tomorrow? I'm like, oh, no answer for that. <laughs> you know, I didn't go to school till I was eight. I don't remember being that excited about going to school. I can remember being like, really? I have to sit in, inside all day? What, what, what's all this about? Four With- walls and a roof? Wait a second, where are the trees? Where's the bush? Yeah, that's right. That wasn't such an exciting thing. Okay, here we are. It is Dusk and Vine Photography. Oh, there you go. Where and uh, in East Maitland. East Maitland. Fantastic stuff. All right, we should talk about the weather. Daniel, what have you got for us? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Yeah, Daniel, Daniel and I have getting into a bit of a deep conversation off air while the song was playing, but uh, we're going to come back to that and talk more about it this morning. Uh, before I, re- I really do, enjoy, I really enjoy coming on here and hearing some of the music because it helps expand my library and my phone, and I'll be I able guess. to jump on iTunes and go, <laughs> "That was really cool." Write it down, download it later. I'm going to play this some other time out of here. It's wonderful, fantastic Praise stuff. The Lord. All right, let's uh, jump into our quiz, our pentathlon quiz this morning. What have we got happening? Producer Shell is just so benevolent that she didn't write down the answers today. Oh, there you go. So I get to play along. You get to play along. Okay, we all get to play along this morning. Fantastic stuff. All right, right. five questions, 500 points. If you get all five right, you get the 500-point prize, which is a DVD, Call of the Cosmos, which is about exploring the universe and understanding the universe in in reference to the Lord. So the 100-point question, let's start it off. What Old Testament prophet once had his name changed to Belteshazzar? Okay, if you know who that was, then give us a call. The number to call is 0491-064-669, which you can also text through on or call 1-800-324-843. And don't forget that you can, of course, get all five prizes right and take home the show bag because there's small prizes for small 
quizzes, like at the beginning, the 100-pointer, but they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you can get all five of them right, you can take home the show bag. So let's see if someone can take home the show bag today. Either that or just do like uh, Daniel and I do and play along for the fun of it. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. That it's not really there. bragging, though, because like the Lord's given us this opportunity to know these things. So we should go, yeah, I got it right, but thanks to God. Yes, that's that's Christian bragging right there. <laughs> Just, Christian, Christian bragging is always Christian bragging rights is always uh, bragging on behalf of what God has done in my life. Amen. <laughs> that's how it works. I like that. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to positively different news this morning. The first story that I've got sort of hits close to home because I grew up in Port Macquarie. Eighteen years of my life, I lived ten minute walk from the beach. Yeah, all right. We we all we all um, don't like you right now. <laughs> Some days I wonder why I left. <laughs> yeah, you live in where? Like, as in, like, um, an hour west of Newcastle in hot country. Yeah, <laughs> whatever <Dusty>. happened. <laughs> Life happened. That's what. Yeah, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Uh, so this is a story about uh, an item, a new wetsuit called Shark Stop. Oh. And this is a Lennox Head inventor named Hayden Burford. He came up with the idea about five years ago. Like just here in northern New South Wales? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Lennox Head, uh, where there was a spate of shark attacks that had rocked the region. So he was with his friends talking about all the attacks that were going on. He said, why has no one come up with a way to develop a suit that prevents you? He's a bit, bit brutal in what he says. He says, that stops sharks from ripping you apart. He's not wrong. Okay, okay. Now, this is interesting because I've never thought of this before. It's never entered my head, but when you were in the police force, you would have worn a stab-proof vest. Yes. Would that have stopped a shark attack? Well, it stopped 9mm rounds, so you'd want to think so. You would think so. (laughs) It stops a 9mm, then it's going to stop a shark, surely. And and I think it's the same basis for it because you remember that a mate of his makes jeans in a company in Melbourne that are Kevlar-lined that help prevent people having injuries when they come off motorcycles. Right, that's so cool. Safety equipment. And so yes. he's, he's utilised the same procedure and the same idea, but to incorporate it into a wetsuit. A wetsuit. So, yeah, just line a wetsuit with uh, bulletproof Kevlar. Yep. And it's made from a polymer fabric called UHWMPE, or Ultra High Molecular Weight Polyethylene. Yes. That. That's a mouthful for you. Yep. I like the acronym much better. I just like stab proof better. <laughs> stab proof. No sharky biting. Yeah, that's it. And it was tested by Professor Charlie Hervenius from the Flinders University College of Science and Engineering on white sharks off the Neptune Islands in South Australia. I want to know how he tested it. From what it looks like in the picture, they just wrapped it on yeah, something and put it in the water. <laughs> like, I'm thinking he tested it or he had it tested. Who would be brave enough Which- to go, you know what, I trust you. Let's put this suit on. I'm jumping in. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think so. So they tested on some great whites down, uh, what is it, South Australia? That's where they're all yep, hanging yep, out? Yep. Yeah, Neptune Islands. They said they saw a number of holes, size of the holes, and the depth of the holes were reduced substantially with the new fabric. Right. Which is great because... So, it is fantastic. It's not, it. um, it's not foolproof, obviously. No, you're not indestructible. You can't just go and start duking it out with sharks like it's... Yeah, because I tend to think of a great white, you know, if a big great white took hold of you, we're wearing this thing... Even if he didn't penetrate the suit, he could break a lot of things. Yep, and they're, they're aware of that. They recognise that it won't stop bone breakages or internal injuries. But the main cause of death from bites is blood loss and the shock from blood loss. Yes. And this will help reduce that so that emergency services can get to people in time, yes. if they're around, to help render aid, which is fantastic. This is awesome. Now, mm. kicker mm. is... 
they're not as flexible as the high-end suits, so they're not really designed for professionals, which is sort right. of a, a bummer because it's like if that was a product that was touted by professionals, much like celebrities get on top of brands. Yes, there'd be a lot more people pre- getting yeah. in, in, like excited Carl, about it. You know, Kelly Slater, for example, the only surfer that I know off the top of my head. Yep. Kelly Slater wears it. Cool, I want to wear it too. Uh, but they're very expensive, around the 800 to to $1,000 mark, as opposed to about 650 for high-end I would, I would, suits. I would think that this would be something that would be particularly appealing to divers yes. rather than surfers, where you don't need the same level of flexibility, uh, particularly professional divers, you know, who are spending a lot of time underwater, you know, working off a compressor and so forth. Um, and deeper down than surfers. Yeah, I mean, hey... When I was in, you know, growing up in Tasmania, the professional divers that would be down for literally, you know, a couple of hours, um, working off a compressor, you know, abalone divers and so forth, they would wear, you know, very very thick wetsuits, as you can imagine, um, ten mil and up, mm-hmm. and they're very restrictive in movement. But you know, they're not trying to surf. Yeah. So you know, you can get away with that kind of thing. Doesn't need to be overly functional. Yeah, but it has been a success so so far because they had a hundred thousand dollar Kickstarter that was exceeded in a week. Oh wow! So there is interest out there. So when do these things hit the market then? Uh, there's no date as far as I'm aware on the the article, which is a shame. But uh, hopefully soon. It makes so much sense. I never ever thought of. It. I was like, we have the technology to stop knives. We have the technology to stop bullets. Just add that to a wetsuit. <laughs> it's funny. The first thing I thought of it was when you see the old 1920s. Underwater suits with the big helmets and the big brass body, yeah, body pieces <laughs> together with the tube on it. And I started to think about you know fourteenth, fifteenth century knights in their armor swimming under the water with their <laughs> chainmail <laughs> protection against the sharks. It would um, well, they do. They have used chainmail in the past for uh, shark protection, but you know, obviously, chainmail comes with a whole bunch of you know disadvantages. It's also not flexible. It's also very heavy. Um, you know, you certainly can't use it as a surfer. Uh, a diver, yes, maybe, but definitely not as a surfer. You definitely need something to bring you back up. If you yes, <laughs> that's right. You need an oxygen tank. Yeah, so that was the that was the first story. I thought it was really cool. And this one is actually a um, another one about. Oh, this is left over from yesterday. Uh, Eighteen letters were found during the demolition of an old post office in a town called Vilnius, and okay. that's in Lithuania. So the post office workers spent months looking for the recipients and they eventually ended up finding five people still alive. These letters were put over in the 70s and 80s and it's believed that there was probably some disgruntled postal worker who was tearing through them looking for cash because they were all opened. When he couldn't find anything, he stuffed them away in a wall, hidden them, been sealed up, no (laughs) one's known. 30, 40 years later, somebody else has bought the building, they've torn it down to build something else come across these letters, reached out to the post office and said, hey, can we try and find people who these letters belong to? Oh, wow. Isn't that such a... It'd be kind of weird getting a letter from the past like that. Well, a lady likened it to getting a message in a bottle in the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would be very similar to that. A message from the... A letter from the 1970s. Yep. They were talking about their lifestyles and what they were doing at the time. One of them was actually a pen pal and the lady's in her 60s now who received it and she goes, look, I don't remember this person, but it's probably because... I never received her return letter, yes. so I just forgot about it. Correspondence never occurred, but she feels this sort of sense of, of amazement that all these years later she's able to have that letter delivered to her. I can remember. I'm old enough. This is going to really date me, but I'm old enough to remember <laughs> as a kid when being a pen pal was a thing. 
you could actually do that. Yeah, and we, we was, had them in school as well. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, when I was like five, so we're talking. Yeah, 30, I'm, 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 I'm thinking when ago. I was in in primary school. So you know, I'm talking uh, mid '80s, I guess. Yep. And back then, you know, letters were still sent with a stamp and in written on paper and in an envelope. That was no a thing. electronic mail then. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was, uh, yeah. It, it all went out in the post. So that's 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 almost as that that's really that's a very cool story. It's very kind. Yeah, it is indeed. It kind of reminds that story that we did last year about the uh, church who ripped down a wall and found a bunch of money hidden in the wall. Anyway, you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. About to go to our two hundred point quiz question. Question's getting a little bit harder. Let's see if you can figure this one out. I don't know about that today. They're pretty, they're oh, they're pretty all easy, good. Yeah, they? pretty good till the 400. Producer four hundred. No, first four are good, and then oh look, they're all pretty. Um, if you if you study, producer Shell has had uh, mercy on you this morning. Yes, which is which is very appreciated. Okay, two hundred point question. What leader shortly before his death gave orders to place the book of the law beside the ark? Okay. Who was that? If you know the answer, 0491064669. Call through or text in the station. Yes. What leader gave orders to place the book of the law in the side of the ark? 0491064669. Call or text the breakfast show. All right. We probably should talk about some more serious stories. Let's do it. Okay. So this one's coming out of Canada and this one is pretty serious stuff. Okay, so uh, new legislation that just passed through Canada. And, and Canada shouldn't, I guess, really surprise us. It's kind of in the same vein as you know, <laughs> California or Victoria. Um, they just passed their Canadian Bill C-4, which is an anti-conversion therapy bill. And it is very much along the lines of the Victorian legislation. Basically, it removes the rights of LGBT plus people to uh, choose any kind of therapy they want other than therapy that affirms them. How is, the, how is that even possible? Like you can't deny somebody the right to choose. It's interesting because the right to choose and the right to give consent, you know, we talk a lot about consent mm. today and consent has become, you know, a very sacred word in today's society. It's a, a, an untouchable word and for a lot of good reasons. Yes, um, and we need to recognise that, but at the same time, we need to recognise that you know con- consent has has uh, has kind of been you know deified in some respects. I'm glad to see it happen. Yeah, and they had a clause in the bill initially that allowed that gave them the freedom that gave LGBT plus people the freedom to give consent, and it was specifically removed. The right to give consent was specifically removed from the legislation. Now, if you don't think there's some agenda behind that, you got rocks in your head. Okay, so there is. Uh, it removes the right of LGB plus people to uh, to, to give consent uh, to any kind of uh, counselling or otherwise uh, that. Um, yeah, it might be something that they want other than something that affirms what they already are. And the challenge with this is, the major challenge that I see with this is that the LGBT plus community is constantly telling us how that gender is fluid, that sexuality is fluid, that 
it's on a range, it's on a spectrum, and that people move across those ranges and across those spectrums. Even potentially daily. Yes. And like through the day. Yes, you could start off right. in the morning as, as one gender and end quote up, unquote as gender and then end up uh, three, that's three right. others through the day. And Well, how many are there now? It's, I've heard limitless yes. because it's just whatever you that's right. feel inside I mean, yourself. They started counting them there for a while. and 60-something it was. And no, well, I got into that. It was well into the 100s oh, was when, it? when last time I checked and then it's just gone like, no, it's infinite. <laughs> it's a concept. It's, yeah, that's right. Uh, and so if these things are fluid and if you can change multiple times during the day, then why is it illegal to say, you know what, I'm feeling this way today, but I would rather feel that way. It's, I'm, I'm not going to say gender again, but I just did. <laughs> okay. Um, it uh, Basically, it criminalises the practice of Christianity, straight, straight, straight up. Um, it, it, quoting from the legislation, any practice designed to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity to, and this is interesting, it criminalises any practice designed to change a person's sexual orientation or gender to, identity to, cisgender. And yet, you know what? So there's... you can have any practice. So it's it's legal to have counselling if you want to be something other than cis, cisgender. So you can change to any of the other infinite number. Yes. Just not. And you can have counselling to do that. Male and female as described in the Bible. That's right. And you know what? What they don't report. Or as described by biology. If you yes. don't believe in the Bible, then at least go with biology. Yeah, X, Y, X, X. This is, this is just pure hatred against God. This is all this is. Um, you, so it's, it's legal. You can trans, tra- transition to any non-biological gender that you want. You just cannot. It's illegal to transition to your biological gender if you have identified as something other than your biological gender. It's paradoxical because they're claiming to care about these people. It don't care about the large number of them that get into this lifestyle and culture, because that's yes, what it is, That's right. and then want to detransition. And it, it makes detransitioning illegal. Because if that person is a part of that community and then decides they, and, that, and that's where it comes down to, they're deciding they no longer want to be a part of that community they're seeing that as a, something criminal, like it's yeah, to get five horrific it. to be a regular average person with an understanding of. So you, you spent a lot of years in law enforcement. How bad of a person do you have to be to, to, to cop a five-year jail term? I tried so hard to put people away. <laughs> I put more, <laughs> needed to be put away, I put right? more people away in traffic matters than I did domestic violence. That's, that's, telling, that's telling. That's saying something. It's, it's, it's really sad. Okay, so you cannot have uh, treatment. So if you if you identify as something um, other than your biological sex, you cannot have treatment to stay with your biological sex. You can have treatment to transition. You can have you know puberty blockers. You can have hormone therapy. You can have uh, surgery to transition to something other than your biological sex. What you can't have is any treatment to stay your biological sex. Have I like woken up in some kind of alternate reality? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So it continues on here. Uh, it says it's criminal. It's a criminal act to repress or reduce uh, non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behaviour. So it's not illegal for uh, counselling to become homosexual. So if you were if you were um, 
heterosexual and you decide, yeah, I'd like to become homosexual, um, you can go and get counselling for that. That's not illegal. But you can't go the other way. You can't go the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is only about heteronormativity. Uh, or, or whatever. It's only about the buzzwords. Yeah, it's only it's only it's only about the biblical model. It's just this is this is is a piece of legislation that has been specifically written with God in mind, mm. and it's like okay, how can we express in our clearest possible language in our legislation by our government our hatred towards God? Yeah, That's really what it comes down to. It's a sign of the times. It tells us that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Okay, it makes um, any kind of parenting that supports heteronormativity illegal. So if you're raising your children to be heteronormal and to, uh, as a Christian, because you're a parent, I'm a parent, you're raising young children, my children have already left home, so it's kind of out of my hands now. Uh, they're, but so, They're sorted, praise the Lord. Yeah. Both married kids. With, with kids, on, <laughs> kids that absolutely... Um, but as a parent, if you were living in Canada right now, if you wanted to raise your two kids as uh, and, and teach them that you know God made you male and female, and He made you to you know live a sexually moral life, that is illegal. You can face a five year jail term for that. Do they that ju- is child abuse in Canada. Do they just not have Christian schools over there anymore? Well, I don't know. I, I w- maybe we should um, interview some people from some Christian schools over in Canada and find out how they actually navigate all of this. Okay, so what this does is basically it bans um, certain kinds of prayer, um, Bible studies, sermons. Um, it directly targets the pulpit. So if you preach any of this kind of stuff, it's illegal. It bans the public reading of some passages of the Bible because they are now classed as hate speech. And that's been the case in Canada for a while now. So, for instance, Romans chapter 1 is has been illegal to read in public in Canada for a number of years. Um and, uh, yeah, the consent exemption was specifically removed from the legislation. So, you know, this is the world that we live in. It is a bizarre, it is a crazy world in which people are basically, you, you get the impression that people are sitting down and saying, okay, what can I do today to demonstrate my hatred and rebellion against God? What can I come up with right now that will allow me to somehow shake my fist in the face of God. This is the Tower of Babel. Spiritual Tower of Babel. This is the Tower of Babel all over again, and we are seeing it happen. The Bible said it would happen just before Jesus comes back. We've lived to see it happen. Let's live to see Jesus come back. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's the breakfast show here on Faith FM. Before we go to our interview of the day, we've got Dr. John Ashton on the line, so uh, super excited to hear what he's got to say. But before we do, we have another clue for our quiz. What have you got for us there, Daniel? I do. 300-point question is, Samson killed 100 Philistines with the jawbone of what animal? Okay, if you know. That's 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 quite the uh, achievement, really, in some respects, if you want to call it that, with a jawbone. I remember at church one day and I was talking about a a Samson sermon that I'd put on and I was discussing with you and I said the um, type of animal in an incorrect way. And you're like, no, no, it's pronounced this. I'm like, yes, of course. Sorry, it's slip of the tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it can be easily mispronounced. Anyway, moving to our interview, we have uh, Dr. John Ashton joining us on the phone this morning. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, all. Good to be here. Great to have you on the the show again this morning. Now, I understand that there's a new book that has come out recently called Replacing Darwin. What's that all about? 
Yeah, sure. Um, it's um, a, a book that has, um, I, I think, quite a bit of uh, potential. Uh, it's called uh, Replacing Darwin, The New Origin of Species. Um, it, it came out uh, late in 2017, so it's been out um, probably, you know, three and a bit years now. Um, and um, the author, though, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, um, is, uh, has his uh, doctorate in cell and developmental biology from Harvard University. So he's worked, um, you know, in an area quite close to understanding genetics and, uh, and this sort of thing. Um, and um, essentially, he looks at the uh, genetics and um, in particular mutation rates. And uh, essentially, he, he points out that when we look at the genetic blueprints um, underlying the... Uh, as we understand the genomes now of the uh, different uh, creatures and species and animals and plants and this sort of thing, um, the, the sequences in the genomes really don't match Darwin's theory based on physical structure. So if we look at the physiology of these plants, and, and this is how the original um, Darwin's tree was sort of drawn up and this whole concept of evolution that uh, you have mutations, um, you know, and so a, a, um, a fish slowly evolves into a reptile because the, that's the, the thing, uh, as the fish had to crawl from one pond drying up to the next one and he moved his fins and there were, there were mutations in the fins that eventually became legs. When we look at the genetic codes that underpin a lot of these changes, they don't fit that pattern. They fit a different, uh, a different pattern, somewhat uh, often somewhat illogical. And uh, some of these uh, trees have been published now, um, and uh, it's quite a challenge for evolutionists uh, because if we look at the genetic or the, the genomes, they don't actually match the. Uh, in many cases, in some cases they do, and in other cases they don't match what you would expect from just the uh, physiology of the um, of the animal or plant. And so this is uh, quite an interesting aspect that um, uh, is developing now. And the other uh, thing is, of course, he, he looks at mutation rates and he's been heavily criticised for this because he, he actually came up with a looking at mutation rates. He came up with... Uh, uh, evidence for the Earth being only about 6,000 years old. And um, he's been really uh, attacked for this. I noticed there on Amazon, uh, for example, there was a reviewer uh, published a uh, review back in um, January 2019. And um, he, he argues that... Um, uh, he, he, he claims that Jensen was slightly out of his area of expertise in making the, the calculation um, because uh, he, he feels that he's used values that are not the, uh, the quite correct ones. And the values that uh, for mutation rates, and it, 
it's interesting the values that he used. That's a guy that an ant for very close to six thousand years. And um, but some of the critics, for example, have pointed out that um, he used a relatively short term mutation rate rather than a substitution rate, and didn't take uh, natural selection into account. However, Jensen does actually talk about this criticism in in his book. And it's interesting that his results are actually not that far from my calculations that I did um, that are published in my book, Evolution Impossible. So when I was looking at this area, I used data that was published in uh, the journal Nature on mutation rates, uh, the references in my book. And I got a value of about 10,000 years uh, as, as quite reasonable um, with a, a, a time for life on Earth as the absolute maximum, if you stretch everything out, the absolute maximum uh, time for life on Earth would be 100,000 years. And that would be very, very generous. And this is working on the uh, mutation rates that we observe today in mitochondrial DNA. So we, we can actually measure these mutation rates. We see uh, what is happening. Um, and uh, so, again, even with a figure of 100,000 years, no way does this fit in with any of the um, you know traditional radiometric dating uh, dates that are out there. And as I said, realistically, my calculation came back in uh, at around about 10,000 years, um, looking at um, a, real, a real, fairly realistic scenario. And it's interesting that his value of, of 6,000 years, uh, of course, he's been criticised for that. Uh, he's honed it a little bit um uh, finer, and he, he happened to come up with that particular value. But I think the interesting thing is that from mutation rates that we can uh, essentially very powerfully demonstrate that life on Earth is very young. And this is a very, very important aspect that we need to perhaps remember as Bible-believing Christians because um, you know, often sometimes there are many Christians that are looking at, say, you know, archaeological evidence and they say, running Egypt back, you know, tens of, uh, you know, many thousands of years beyond that. Um, the indigenous uh, claims, of course, at the present time, uh, well, people, you know, and they've got their information, I guess, some other scientists going back 30 or 40,000 years. We need to understand that when we look at these mutation rates, these, these values just don't work. Um, and I, I guess it's something that we actually can't see because it's in our DNA and something we don't realise, that our children have more genetic defects than we have. We have more genetic defects than our parents, and this has been accumulating over time. And that's why a lot of um, diseases now, um, there's, you know, uh, forget, I forget, when I last looked, uh, which was some years ago. Now, there were over 10,000 genetic diseases registered now in the John Hopkins uh, uh, register there, John Hopkins University register uh, of diseases caused by genetic defects. Um, so this is a very, very interesting act, uh, uh, um, you know, aspect. Uh, the book's highly technical, but I think it's something to make um, 
you know, people um, aware of the book Replacing Darwin, the New Origin of Species, uh, published by Master Books. So it's, a, you know, available readily through most uh, booksellers. So it is uh, quite highly technical. Uh, book, but it's, it's a very interesting approach looking at the genetics um, by a, an author who you know specialised in that area. Mm. Yeah, John, that sounds fascinating. Tell me, um, is is this particular author is he coming from the from a position of faith? Is this like a faith based book, or is? Um... Oh yes, yes, and yes, he is a um, a Christian young earth creationist, and of course. After getting his uh, qualifications, I noticed that uh, one of the viewers talks about how he was um, uh, snapped up by some of the creation research uh, groups, and I think he's now working for um, Answers in Genesis um, in the United States. So they've accumulated quite a group of experts there. They've got... um, Andrew uh, Snelling, of course, um, who um, earned um, his uh, PhD in um, uh, in geology here at either the University of Sydney or University of New South Wales. I forget which. Um, he did his, uh, he got first class honours in geology from one of those universities, and then went to the other one, so either Sydney or UNSW, and uh, did a lot of work on. Um, the uranium deposits up in the Northern Territory and the radiometric dating of those deposits. And so he works uh, for Answers and Genesis in the US now. Mm. And uh, also they've got a, um, a physicist, Jason Lyle, uh, who specialised in um, astrophysics. Uh, he's putting out some really good work now. So they've now got um, this, this guy uh, from Harvard, and of course, they've had uh, John uh, uh, Stanford um, from um, uh, who was at uh, Cornell University, who was also a geneticist, the guy who um, um, uh, was involved in the development of the uh, gene gun to actually uh, insert pieces of genetic code into a new organism. And of course, they've refined that process uh, quite a lot now, so that it's a um, a standard process. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm involved with a project at uh, Queensland University of Technology at the moment where we're looking at changing the, um, the genomes of, uh, of yeast um, to uh, produce um, better quality um, plant-based uh, proteins um, so that they deliver more a balance of amino acids um, in case you know we need to come to our this is futuristic research, but we can we know that we can do that now. And of course, you know, John Stanford Stanford um, published work and his book uh, Genetic Entropy uh, pointed out this whole issue that when we look at the rate of mutations now, um, yes, life on Earth can not be anywhere near the age that uh, is claimed um, by mainstream science. And it was very interesting that he and um, another guy, I think it was John Baumgartner, uh, who, who actually is a, a physicist by training, but uh, they looked at the ages of the patriarchs and the decline in ages of the patriarchs and showed that it fits a, a genomic decay curve. 
So it's very interesting if you if you actually plot a graph of the ages of the patriarchs, the pre-flood patriarchs, of course, all lived about uh, around uh, roughly about 900 years, you know, plus or minus 50 or 60 years, um, was their age, their lifespan. And then after the flood, lifespans drop off very, very quickly. Um, but they follow a genomic curve. In other words, and it's a really, really good fit. And that's something that would be hard to be uh, contrived. Uh, matter of fact, I uh, wrote an article in um, a book that's, uh, or a chapter in a uh, book that's just been published now um, called, um, I'm just looking it up now, um, Design and Catastrophe, 51 Scientists Explore the Evidence in Nature. And I have a chapter in that where <clears throat> I looked at some of the mathematical research that has been done. Um, there are mathematical uh, uh, methods that we can use to check whether or not data has been contrived, in other words, made up. Um, there are a number of algorithms that have been developed for testing this. And when you apply those algorithms to the ages of the patriarchs, um, they've come out as fitting real data. Uh, and so this is using um, a, 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 you know, data published in the, in the scientific literature and, and applied to these ages. So this is really, really fascinating. And the fascinating thing is that those ages fit a genomic decay curve that you would predict mm. from the increased rate of mutation. So we've got powerful evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. We are accumulating evidence now for a recent life on Earth. That's really exciting. This is incredibly exciting, John. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. You've raised a whole bunch of questions in my mind. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we always enjoy your segments when you come on the show. Uh, that was Dr. John Ashton, who, amongst his other books, has uh, put out Evolution Impossible. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.